Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 839 with Mel Harrington. I had no idea that that was even something that could have worked. You know, I just threw it out there and he said yes. And I was blown away. I I think I remember going home just like I went for a walk on the beach, actually, with a friend of mine. And it started raining while we were at Seapoint Beach. And half of it was rain and half of it was a rainbow. And like the whole sky lit up. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I just started bawling. I was like, I can't believe that this is my life just happening like the way that I had been working my whole life to make it happen, you know. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, Unstoppables, I want to use this ad space to let you know about an affiliate relationship I have with the company Mies. Actually, Mies has been a past sponsor, but they've adopted this really great affiliate program and I want to give it a shot. But here's the thing, I won't get credit for your referral unless you use my specific, special, unique Link and that link is getmes.com slash unstoppable. So if you listen to this ad and you want me's, make sure you use that link. And instead of actually uh, recording a new ad, I really like the first one I did with them. So I'm just gonna roll it and uh, let the ad work. It's magic. Here it is. Here are four reasons why you need me's in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content plus you can send notifications and answer questions directly through me's quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason why you need me's in your restaurant you will reduce waste and execute with consistency me's enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions Tell me how many portions you want. Watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell me how much yield you want. Watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to get Mies. That's M-E-E-Z dot com slash unstoppable and make sure you mention restaurant unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan get on it today's episode is brought to you by seven shifts seven shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs and i have to say i haven't come across a restaurateur using seven shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals seven shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules timesheets communications tasks tips and more all in one place and because you are restaurant unstoppable 
Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, PopMenu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder, the show needs your support, and there's a few ways you can do it. You can use our sponsors. You can click our affiliate links. You can share this podcast with anybody you know who's aspiring to learn and be a better version of themselves today than they were yesterday, and literally just... Be a part of the conversation and join the network. Uh, those memberships really help support this podcast. So today, I'm really excited for today's conversation. One thing I've been doing, you guys hear it in every episode, is I ask all my guests, who's one person you respect and admire and believe would be a great guest mentor on the show? And, and the reason why I ask that question is because I want to inject integrity into this podcast and sincerity. And I feel like the world of restaurant media just kind of everyone kind of just marches to the same beat and it's kind of just this big media grab and you see people, especially creators in this outlet, just getting lazy and basically interviewing anybody. A publicist will reach out and put in front of them because it's just easier. Frankly, it's easier to have people pitch their clients to you. And, but then what you end up seeing is all the same podcasts just end up getting the same people on the show. And I, and I want to be different. I want to, I want to unearth people who haven't been discovered yet, who are off the radar, who are on the, on the come up. And I really do think that this podcast does a great job at getting to people before the big mainstream media gets to people, because let's be honest, big mainstream media is kind of fucking lazy. Uh, so I am proud of that. And I think today is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And the people that I'm making an example of aren't necessarily out for big, massive media attention. They're, they're, they're doing them. They're chasing their dreams. They're trying to create a lifestyle that is what their soul needs. Is like they're trying to like it's. I don't know. I think that it's really important to get diversity and different perspective. And I and I think that I'm executing that really well. And today we're talking to Mel Harrington. And 
Mel is from Vermont. She went to Keene State, majored in business management, and then basically spent the next, the next 10 years traveling all over New Hampshire and uh, Massachusetts, getting incredible amounts of perspective and experience. Uh, and she would spend winters in Mexico. And then over 2020, she had a, she ended up uh, doing her isolation or her quarantining in Mexico. And it was during this time that she really started to get more intentional and she wanted to create a lifestyle brand for herself. Um, and I, mean, I don't know if that's what I'm calling it, but she wanted to create, you know, you, you, I'm sure you guys can relate. This industry will tear you up. It is exhausting. And I don't know if it necessarily has to be. And I think that we can challenge the status quo and we have to access to tools and resources today. Like we'd never have to diversify and to really get creative and to break the mold, the traditional mold of how a restaurant should function. And I think Mel is a good example of you can start where you are, you know, start where you can and just share your vision, put it out there and make it happen. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about. This is a really inspiring story. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So with no further ado, here it is Mel Harrington and a special thanks to John Daniels from stock restaurant for calling Mel out. Enjoy. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, the founder and chef, chef owner of Sunday Supper Maine. Is that what, you, what, what are you guys going by officially? Uh, Sunday Supper Society, Sunday Supper M.E., I Sunday love Supper it. Maine. Mel Harrington, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, heck yeah. Yes, I cannot wait to get into your story. So before we do that, it's a tradition here at Restaurant Unstoppable to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, a mantra, since I'm allowed to swear, um, <laughs> is uh, bitches get shit done. Bitches get shit done. <laughs> Why is that your quote? Um, I lived with a couple girls and they were all pretty powerful females. And as single women living alone, you got to do some hard stuff sometimes. And we would move furniture and, you know, just get shit done. And shit done. <laughs> I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And I'm really uh, excited for today's story because... I mean, I talk to a lot of restaurateurs who've been in the industry for 30 years. They're millionaires. They have 50, 20 restaurants, whatever, all over the country. And that's great. We can learn a lot from those people. But did they do it? Did they, did they open their restaurant in 2021 or 2020 or whatever their business model is post-pandemic? I feel like in the world we live in today, with tech, like the world's is so different today than it was even 10 years ago. So to get somebody to, to share their story while it's so fresh, while they're going through it, is so powerful in my opinion. And that's why I'm really excited. And a special thanks to uh, John Daniels for calling you out. Unfortunately, we weren't able to connect this weekend, but he said, hey, I, I was going to call out Mel, so I'll give you her contact information now so she can kind of step in my place until I'm able to come on. So you're here, and Yay. thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, John. Um, yeah, so what was going through your mind as I was saying that? Um, I don't know. I was a little... Uh, I'm, I agree with you that the restaurant industry is definitely changing, and even in the last year, it's changed a lot. Um, there's a lot of people exiting the industry. There's a lot of people also entering the industry. Um, 2020 was a, a shaking year for all of us. Um, I kind of got out of it, but I, you know, out of it in the normal sense, but then got into it in this sense. Um, but I think that it's changing quite a bit. Yeah, it yeah. is changing. I think that it's, at, at first you probably wouldn't agree, but I think it's changing for the better. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the bar is being lowered. Uh, the bar to entry is being lowered because of, 
tools and technologies that you're leveraging, uh, getting, I would say, start with your brand, just develop your brand and start with a, a club, your friends, your, your family, and then have them bring friends. And over time, it grows and grows. And I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But why don't you get, let's get in the airplane, like I like to say, let's zoom up 30,000 feet. Yeah. And just tell me exactly the path you took to get to where you are now. Okay. Um, it probably, well, I was born in Vermont. Um, my first restaurant job was at a place called the Marina in Brattleboro, Vermont. I was 14 years old and I worked as an expediter in the kitchen. Um, I wasn't allowed to use knives because I wasn't old enough, um, but I was allowed to make salads and plate things. And uh, I kind of was the intermediary between the kitchen and the servers, which was really exciting for me as a young kid. Um, but then I went on, uh, after school, I went to Keene State, um, went th- there for business management, and I decided to become a financial advisor after that. Um, I tried that for a few years, realized I hated it, got back into the restaurant industry, um, and started um, moving closer to the seacoast from there. So after I left Keene, I moved over to Peterborough, New Hampshire, worked at Pearl Restaurant and Oyster Bar. Then I moved over to Portsmouth, and my first restaurant job in Portsmouth was at Jumpin' Jay's. Um, I've worked for most of his restaurants, Ornell's, um, The Nice, uh, which is now Mr. Kim's. I've done a lot of work with Gary at Mr. Kim's. I worked at Walker's uh, Main here a few years ago. There's been a lot of stops along the way, pretty much every restaurant in Portsmouth, Cava, Jumpin' Jay's, um, The 100 Club. <laughs> You name wow. it, I've probably worked there. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I love it. And, and um, when did you make this? The, I like the timestamp things. When did you get back into the industry? Um, I got back into the industry, I would probably say, so 07 was kind of when the market crashed. And that was when I was working as a financial advisor. You graduated Keen 2007. Yep. Right? Yep. And I started working as a financial advisor then. And then I probably did about five years in the restaurant industry still while I was working as a financial advisor and an accountant. Um, I would do nights on weekends in the restaurant industry. So I never really left the industry. I just kind of tried to do other things with my degree that just I thought I was supposed to be yeah. doing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then I would say maybe I'm trying to think of the year that I went to work at Pearl Restaurant and Oyster Bar. I would say it was probably somewhere around between 2010 and 12, maybe. Okay. So yeah. you spent um, a big chunk I mean, when did you think, would you say you got to Portsmouth and started working at Jumpin' Jays? Uh, it was 10 years ago. This August oh, was a wow. uh, 10 year in Portsmouth, my 10 year. 2012. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So, um, damn, that's crazy. <laughs> it's I, been a I, very long I journey. I can't wait to pull back the, the, the layers. So, I mean, when do you think, when you were working in restaurants in Vermont, was there a part of you that was like, this is what I want to do. This is my path. This is where I belong. Um, I don't think I was there yet. I think I was doing it because I needed some money, but I was also trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was doing it like I think most kids do it. <laughs> you know, I was working there as yeah. a summer job or I was working. Candy to just, money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was trying to figure out. And also, um, I was kind of trying, you know, like when we go to college, we do what we think our parents want us to do. Yeah. And so I was still in that mindset where, oh, I got to go to college. I got to get this degree. I got to get a real job. This is resonating um, with me a lot. Yeah. Like, I, I went through the same thing. Like growing up in a restaurant, my parents owned a restaurant and they're always telling me, you do not want to do this. We work so hard so you don't have to go yeah. get a real job. Yeah. Go, you know, so yeah, I think a lot of us hear that. Yeah. And seeing it too from such a young age, I didn't really want to do it. I was like, oh man, this looks like hard yeah, work. They right. don't enjoy their lives. They don't, you know, have a balance at all. And I didn't want it at first. I this was is like, exactly no why we're here though, because <laughs> that's a lot of people, yeah. you know, and it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. I remember looking at my parents and thinking to myself, we have lines out the door every weekend. 
But my mom's crying at the kitchen table yeah. worried about how she's going to pay the mortgage every month too. Yeah. Like what's going on? What are we doing wrong? How are there like, you know, Jimmy and Allie's family, they have a restaurant and they go on vacation. What are they doing? You know, like <laughs> yeah. what are we doing wrong? What are vacations? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, so like there, you can find that balance. There's things you can do. And that's kind of what we're here to do is to get after how to, to find that balance and how to run a sustainable restaurant yeah. business. Right. So, um, so yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, I kind of derailed you a little. No, that's okay. So yeah, while I was in Portsmouth, like I said, I worked for a lot of different restaurants while I was here. And then, um, I went down to Boston, maybe I think five years ago in 2016, 17, I moved to Boston and I started working at flower bakery. Oh, Um, (laughs) she has been on my radar. Yeah. Everyone loves her. She's wonderful to work for. Uh, Joanne Chang. Yeah. She's phenomenal. She knows every single employee's name. (laughs) Yeah. She's great. Um, so then after that, I was also working at La Brasa, which is a restaurant in Somerville. I was managing there at night, working at the bakery during the day, getting really burnt out. And I kind of, decided uh to leave the united states behind (laughs) and to i went to mexico and i kind of sold everything i owned and i got on a plane and never came back Where in mexico (laughs) um i lived in isla mujeres first uh which is off the coast of cancun okay so i spent a year there um until i really had to come home i ran out of money and i can't work so i was like all right well i gotta go back so i came back i worked at walker's when i came back um I worked at Otis in Exeter. Where's Walker's? Uh, Walker's is in Cape Nettick. Okay. Um, they're a great restaurateur, husband and wife team, a uh, really phenomenal chef. Um, and then I also... You came back and you were working where? At Walker's. Yeah, I came back. I worked at Walk. Uh, I think first I worked at Otis. Otis. And then from Otis, I went to Walker's. Um, and I still would travel in the winters. So I would do the busy season in the summers with Walker's and then go back down to Mexico in the winters. Well, at least and Frank is killing it over yeah, there. Yeah, he's at awesome. Otis right now. I have do you been to his burger joint yet? I have not, no. Ooh, you're but missing out. I had a feeling that you're it's missing amazing. Out. It's good stuff. <laughs> good. Oh, man. I'm so excited to hear all these people that I admire so much. In your your backstory, and there is definitely a correlation between you know success breeds success, and that's starting to show and rear its little head right now. So <clears throat> I'm excited for this. Uh, we, we need to start pulling back. Some, is there anything? Am I cutting you short? No, no. So Otis, you went from Otis to I'm going to start my own business. Uh, no, I went from Otis to Walkers. I did a couple summers at the Point Restaurant. Um, and then I did, went back to Massimo's um, during the pandemic and I waited tables at Massimo's um, during the pandemic. And that was when I went from <laughs> working in a restaurant to You haven't even mentioned own. restaurant, uh, <laughs> wait, street. Oh, yeah, that was, yep, that was also there. Uh, that was, uh, <laughs> which is how you met John Daniels. Yes, yep. Yeah. We worked together at Street um, in right when I first moved here. That was, uh, it was Jumpin' Jay's then Street. Okay. Yeah. There's think, been so many. It's hard to keep no, track. No, it's great, but I love it. And I think that um, anybody who's listening to this who's early in their career and they're, you know, maybe they're late teens or early 20s and they're like, what do I want to do? Do exactly what Mel did. Just get out there <laughs> and meet people and work for people, travel, get perspective and figure yourself out. Yeah. You know, and the only way you can figure yourself out is through living. Yeah. And, I agree. and getting those experiences and learning and perspective, you know? So I, I love the approach you're taking up to this point. Um, where does it make sense? You know, you went to school to become uh, a bit for business management. Uh, you, you were a financial advisor. Um, I think that's huge. I think, you know, like what I like to say is like, uh, good. You're hoping like we, at Restaurant Unstoppable, we almost never talk about food. We never talk about like the art of food or what whatever you want to call it, whether it's an art or a skill or a trade. 
because you're opening a restaurant, I hope you can fucking cook. But can you do everything else? You know what I'm saying? And that's what we're here to talk about is the everything else. And I think a lot of people aren't financially savvy. Yeah. Uh, So I think, you know, what was, you know, how has that served you being a financial advisor, understanding business? Yeah. So I think that it's definitely helped along the way, but I'm definitely not where I would expect myself to be financially as a financial advisor. You know, like you give advice, but then you don't take your own advice a lot. Like I was saying, um, I think that that has happened quite a bit for me. I, um, I'll get dive into that whole story with my investor and how we got there. But I think that I wasn't really financially savvy, even though I was a financial advisor. Um, I went to school for business. I did accounting and I definitely can do accounting and QuickBooks and things like that, which I think is super important to be able to, you know, do food costs and budgeting and all of that. It's very important. Um, but I'm not as financially savvy as I would like to be. I definitely am still learning, um, that aspect of the business. Um, but it definitely helps a little bit to oh, have. I appreciate you being vulnerable. And I think, uh, I think that's one of the big lessons is we, we get out there, we read the books, we get the education. It's one thing to know what to do. Yeah. You know, I've read at this point at least a hundred books on, on business or something relative yeah. to business, but we're constantly just consuming knowledge. We're not, we're not executing the, the information we're learning. Yeah. Right? I think yeah. a lot of us are guilty of that. Yeah. And I think that the more I do this, the more I learn, obviously. And every day is, a huge learning curve for me with this business because this is my first time owning a business, but also my first time with employees and, you know, everything that goes into it and doing food costs. And, uh, so it is definitely a learning curve, but I think that some of, I I think that I would say I gained more experience working in the industry than I did through working uh, as a financial advisor. And that's what we're going to get into now. Um, so reflecting back and it's going to be hard to do this. You've worked with so many great people, trying to go chronologically on your journey to where you got today is there one restaurant that or one restaurant tour a mentor a person that you think took you from one gear maybe like you're in you know you're 22 years old you're in second gear right you're, yeah you're, you're accelerating you're getting better and better they help you get the third gear yeah you know who was that um so that would be uh his name is dave chicane david chicane and he owned pearl restaurant and oyster bar in peterborough and i went to work for him um i was just remembering this story last night as I was kind of prepping for this. And uh, I was thinking about, uh, I was standing at the copy machine uh, as a financial advisor. I was in my office in Manchester. I was wearing a suit, a business suit that was probably three times too big for me. <laughs> you know, like the kid dressing up. Yeah, the suit right yeah, now. exactly. So I was standing at the copier, you know, hating my life. It was like office space, that movie. And I was just like copying um, something stupid. And I got a phone call from a number that I didn't recognize. I answered it. And it was Dave Chicane. And uh, he said, you don't know me, but uh, you waited on me a few weeks ago at the restaurant that you work at. And I want you to manage this new project that I'm doing. Um, We're not open yet, but I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you about the possibility of you coming on and managing my new project. And at that time, I was still really trying to do the financial advisor thing because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. And um Yeah, I remember talking to my dad about hating the job and he finally gave me the little kick in the butt that I needed. He said, why don't you just go back to restaurants? It's what you're good at. And I was blown away. I was thinking, I didn't think that was allowed. I can go back to restaurants and do that all the time. What what is like how fucked up is it yeah. that like, we have this mentality that like, we can't take pride in this work and that yeah. not a lot of people can do and I'll be honest like I can't I, I think I would I have a lot of like the social skills to be a good server but 
the a great server yeah. that can juggle all it's those hard. plates and like keep <laughs> things in line. Like that's not easy. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah. Why 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 aren't we more prideful? Yeah, I'm not sure because it is hard work. And yep. I think even today, like if you're going to interview in an office job, a lot of people do look at that restaurant background as a positive uh, aspect on your resume because they know that you can you can work well under pressure you can juggle a lot of things and multitask really well yeah. you can get yelled Social at in the skills. face over and over yeah. again and still come back hungry for more the next yeah. day Resilience, you know so sure. it definitely yeah it has a lot of that um stamina building and you know character building so so dave uh chicane yep um yeah. did I say his name chicane yeah chicane, dave chicane uh so he was a restaurateur in peterborough um He's, and so this is while you're at pearl uh, he he came across, or he recruited you for Pearl. He recru- so he owned Pearl. Um, okay. He recruited me at 21. It was a martini bar in Keene that I managed all through college. I was there for five years. I opened it. Um, I managed it for the five years I was in college, and then after, when I was financial advising, I was still trying to stay weekends there. Um, but then as a financial advisor, they made me quit. They said, oh, it's a conflict of interest. You can't be working in the alcohol and industry with your series seven license i think that what they really just wanted was for me to stay hungry so that i would sell more insurance which is wait who wouldn't let you do this uh, i worked for northwestern mutual yeah and they uh they said it's a conflict of interest with your securities license for you to work around alcohol and they yeah why right i don't don't know what is a series seven what does that mean Uh, a series seven is your investment license which allows you to trade stocks on wall street um you you know like alcohol doing that yeah so they (sighs) i think they were really just trying to you know, they wanted me to stay hungry so that I could sell more insurance because okay. they wanted us to sell so many policies a week and they didn't want any conflict of interest for their bottom line, I think. so. I don't understand. So because you would be making a lot of money slinging martinis? I think so. I think that okay. that's the thing. They wanted me to not be making as much money slinging martinis so, so that I would be, be more, more hungry. Exactly. Yeah. So they asked me to quit uh, the restaurant job and I thought it through and I couldn't because it was commission only working for investments and I couldn't do that. So then when Dave, Dave, it was kind of all like right at the same time, they were telling me that I had to leave this job if I wanted to stay on with them. And then Dave called me and said, Hey, why don't you come work for my new project? And it was all kind of right at the same time. And it was perfect fit. And um, so he hired me on at Pearl restaurant to kind of see the lay of the land as far as how he runs his restaurants while we were getting the new restaurant up and running. What was the new restaurant? Um, It was called Canteen. It was a Mexican restaurant right next door in Peterborough. Um, and I was hired on as the, be- the beverage manager there. And so I worked at Pearl for maybe six months while we were getting the restaurant up and running, doing some R&D um, for the beverage program. And then um, we ended up closing. And I think after that is when I moved to Portsmouth. Okay. Yeah. The so, restaurant ended up closing so after about a year. You said that um, Dave, uh, I don't know why I'm saying his name. Yeah, Chicane. Chicane, yeah. thank yeah. you very much. Um, he kind of helped take you from second gear to third gear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where were you at the martini bar as far as your knowledge, uh, your skill set, and where were you after Dave Chicane? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So when I went, when I first started at 21, I was 19 years old. Um, I wasn't even really old enough to pour cocktails, (laughs) but I did. And, um, or maybe I was 20 because I was, yeah, I was 20, I think, because I turned 21 while working there. Um, But I was, started out as a bartender there and then I became the bar manager within six months and I stayed there for all five years um, of, well, five years of college, four years of college. Um, 
And I was, I just knew that restaurant really. I mean, I worked at Margarita's in college a little bit. I worked at the restaurant in Brattleboro a little bit, like golf courses here and there, but I really didn't know much about the restaurant yeah. industry. Margarita is great. I, I, I went through their training and their I think training is wonderful. <laughs> back in the day, like they, they had a tight run shit. They did. Yeah. yeah. Like, and they For still sure. do to this day, I'm sure. But yeah. I learned a lot about what training could look like. Yeah. Their training the program was great. Yeah. Um, so I went from Margarita's. Uh, to this place called Tony Clamato's briefly, and then to 21, where I was there for five years. But it was um, definitely a college bar. We didn't have a chef that was, you know, we did a lot of fried food. Mm-hmm. It was very basic pub food. I had never been around a quote unquote like real chef before. No one who went by chef, no one who really was cooking anything that excited me or inspired me whatsoever. It was kind of just like chicken tenders and mozzarella sticks and things like that. So once I left 21 and started working for Dave, I was blown away. Like his operation at Pearl, they still run the same menu now and it's been almost 10 years and he hasn't owned it and the new owners kept the menu. It's a phenomenal restaurant. The food's incredible. Um, The drink program is also incredible. It was the first time I worked with bartenders that were using things that I had never seen before. You know, it's small town like Keene, or I mean, Keene's small town, but moving over here a little bit opened my eyes to the world of the restaurant industry. What did he teach you about business? So it was more elevated dining. Yeah. uh, But did he, did he give you new skills? Yeah, he definitely did. Um, I remember the first night working for him. Um, I, he had me come on as a host to kind of get the lay of the land of how he operates and runs his businesses. Smart. So he said, why don't you come on? You can host for us and you can kind of just see the flow of the restaurant, how everything works. And I had never hosted before. I, I had managed hosting. a bar but yeah. and bartended, but I had never hosted. So me being completely green, but also thinking that I'm not green in that field because I was like, oh, I'm, I can host. Come on. Yeah. I've been doing this forever. I can host. And uh, I... According to him, I single-handedly fucked the entire restaurant that night. Oh, man. How, how did you make that happen? <laughs> I remember him coming up to me before service, and he was looking over the guest list book, and uh, I had booked every single table for reservations. I left no room open for walk-ins. Oh, man. And the first diner that tried to come in, uh, I turned away because we were booked with reservations, and he was like, wait, what did you do? And I said, oh, I filled the reservation book. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that's what he said. That He's like, you single-handedly just <laughs> fucked us tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I started crying. So what's the, like, why is that a problem? Um, people are like, well, well I understand yeah, this. That I sounds mean, like a good thing. Right? Yeah. But then anyone that, I mean, he had a big walk-in business. Yeah. And so there was no room for walk-ins. People were walking in, seeing an empty restaurant and being like, well, wait, why can't I have dinner right now? And it's like, oh, sorry. Those are reserved in an hour. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, I yeah. I gave two turns to every single table in there instead of leaving things open for walk-in so and wiggle maybe room. And, in like a third or maybe even a fourth if it's a, a yeah, fast Yeah, right? but yeah, it was just, uh, I definitely cut down on business that night. Probably yeah, I don't think people realize bit. how much control a host has, not yeah. just over, you know, you're, you're the governor essentially of, right? of everything. Like you control the flow. Yeah. And, I mean, if you flat seat the kitchen, there's so many different things you can do. You can overload servers. You have mm-hmm. to understand, there's just so many dynamics you have to take into consideration, skill set. Yeah. What people can handle. You know, there's a million things. It's definitely come. It's a lot of management for and then sure. From there, like you're also, you have this perspective of the entire dining room. You can see what you're, you're a backup, you know, yeah. you're, you're reading the room. You're, you're looking for situations where you can give a server a head, a heads up and be like, or just swoop in and kind of like, you know, help out wherever yeah. you can take a tray from somebody, whatever you can do. There's yeah. a million things a server can do or sorry, a host, host can do. Yeah. It's but, one of the most important positions. I think it, it really does control the whole flow of the restaurant all yeah. night long. Uh, I mean, um, look at the most, some of the most successful restaurateurs 
our hosts, yeah. Danny Meyer. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's in a very powerful role. Yeah. Uh, so continuing on, cause we have a lot of to cover. <laughs> you guys, so any other big lessons that David, uh, Chicane, um, yeah, I Chicane. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I got it right. Dude. Um, well he, um, this was the first time that I was, he gave me a budget to create the beverage program and he gave me a lot of, um, independence with that, which was really cool. He would give me his credit card. He'd say, go to the liquor store, invite your friends over for dinner and play around with cocktails. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of blown away that somebody, would just give me a credit card to go buy alcohol. Um, But he did that. And him giving me that independence to create this program was really cool too, because it was the first time I was empowered to do that. Um, But also working with costs and he was having me, you know, cost out each ounce of alcohol to find out what we had to price the cocktails at and so forth. And so that also gave me a lot of insight into pricing Mm -hmm. and food costs and beverage costs and all of that. And I had never been told to do that (laughs) you know i worked at this martini bar and it was complete the owners were pretty hands-off and we just we i mean we poured alcohol (laughs) why is it so important to slow down and to take your people through the game of business and how it works and what what did that do for you and for him well i think that it made me a better employee for him because i then could see his bottom line Mm -hmm. and it made me vested and interested in that and learning that and but also maintaining that so that we could keep things where they needed to be financially Mm -hmm. um but it also empowered me you know, he gave me the tools and then said, you know, go run with this and see yeah. what you can do. And it just really empowered me because, you know, I always, I'm a people pleaser and I just always wanted to do a really great job for him. And so it definitely empowered me to be better at yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. So. And now he's, he's creating a better asset in you. Yeah. He's, he's, he's yeah, giving sure. you skills. He's giving you knowledge and he's making you more valuable for himself. Yeah. Selfishly, but there, it's a win-win situation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So is there anything else we can talk about? Uh, that Dave did for you before moving on to Jumpin' Jays. And I, I know, I'm sure that was probably, not to say that J- Jumpin' Jays is doing anything that Dave isn't, but I, I know that organization. Yeah, yeah, and yeah the- no, I think that's uh, that's it really. I moved um, I moved everything across the state to Portsmouth um, with a U-Haul with my car in the back of it. And I uh, went into Jumpin' Jays and I interviewed with Kate. She was the manager there at the time. Past guest on the yeah. show. Oh, really? That's yeah, awesome. she's over yeah. Real Penny. Kate Real Penny, yep. yeah. Yeah, so Kate interviewed me and that job was so scary to me. I walked in there green as green could be. I had no idea the volume that they did. I was back waiting. She just said, how about you come in and back wait and see where we can put you on the floor? And it was just so fast paced and mm. so busy. And it was... August and so it was slammed and I just remember running around like a chicken with my head cut off as a back waiter feeling so out of my own element that I was like I don't know how to do this am I going to be able to you know maintain this this is crazy so what do they teach you um not to stack glasses (laughs) not to put your fingers in glasses (laughs) um there was a lot of like old tricks that I did that were not allowed at Jumpin' Jays, you know, uh, because they're more high, high end dining. You're talking about grabbing five glasses at once with your fingers inside of them. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing that. And Uh, Kate brought it to my attention very quickly that that is not allowed. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing. There is no right way. What might be good for one establishment where whatever vibe they're going for, whatever works for, if it's like a a diner or whatever, and that's fine there might not be okay at another restaurant. I mean, there's so many, that's one of the things I've learned. There's just so many different different ways. ways. Yeah. It all depends on what you want to be and how you want to be identified. Yeah, you know. Um, but keep going. Yeah. So that was uh, definitely a wake up call for me that I was a, a little fish in a big pond yeah. <laughs> as opposed to a big fish in a little pond. Yeah. Um, so coming over to Portsmouth was definitely very eye opening for me. Um, and this is now you said around 2012, right? Yeah, it was ten, 10 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, 
reflecting back, uh, and you've worked in all these restaurants now, all over the East Coast, uh, getting different perspective on how people do things. What do you think that Jumpin' Jays did really well that that you know made them stand out as far as um, how their businesses were run? There's a couple cool things that Jumpin' Jays does. I mean, they have they put five servers on the floor every night, um, and they empower their servers to have these big sections so that they can make good money, which is obviously the end game for servers. They want to make as much money as they can. Nobody goes into the job. You know, I just really love serving, you know, they just want to make good money. And so he would put five or Kate would put five girls on the floor and then one food runner. And what they would do every week is they would rotate. So everybody got a A better section. Yeah. Or a different section. So you would work the same section for a week. And then the next week you'd move into the next section. The next week you'd move into the next. And then the final week you would run food. So everybody took a turn at running food as well. But the food runner was a cut in the tip pool, made everybody a team player. I think that they were really good with that. Everybody wanted to work as a team because, you know, it was five of them and they were just hustling and really kicking ass but um it was a lot of hard work um and they had a lot of veteran servers there that were there for a really long time because i think that people wanted to stay because of that model you know you're making really great money it's always busy um so yeah i think that that was really great they definitely run a tight ship which what made it tight kate (laughs) give me an example of what a tight ship looks like um you know people show up on time to work and she told me this she's like if you're on time you're late you know and that was that's the tight ship you know if you're rolling in at three o'clock for a three o'clock shift you're late you know so i learned that pretty quickly that you got to be there like quarter of and you come in and you settle in and you get ready for your shift and i mean it it breeds that mentality breeds i think a different you know you're expected more is expected of you and i think that that's I think it's great to set the tone for that. You know, yeah. like this is what we're expecting of yeah, you. <laughs> I think, um, correct me, Jared, if I'm wrong, but I, I know you listened, you edited that episode. And I think I remember Kate getting into that, uh, that like she remembers reflecting like that. She used to be a huge hard ass. Yeah. And I think that she, even she today admits like I could have been a little bit more. <laughs> she was a hard ass. Yeah, yeah. I could have been a little yeah. bit. She was, yeah. a, what is it, a, a tough bitch? Yeah, she was. Is that the yeah. mantra that yeah. we started bitches with? Get shit done. Bitches get shit she done. She got shit done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she definitely did. Um, and she fired me, and I remember her firing me. And uh, Why did you get fired? Uh, I don't know if I was really fitting in with the event. I was kind of, I don't know. I, she, the, that's sheep. how she said it. Yeah, it was the black sheep. She uh, <laughs> called me into the office. She slid my last paycheck across the table, and she said, I don't really think you're fitting in here. <laughs> <laughs> which is true i probably wasn't but uh i just remembered being fired and i was like i just got fired <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah and from there i went to street that's funny. <laughs> enter john daniels <laughs> so uh, again another great restaurant street. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about street um so same situation as most of the situations i've started out bartending and then became the bar manager um I worked there when michelle lasway still owned the restaurant and her husband uh, josh was the chef and I worked there for a little over a year. It was a great job. I loved working there. It was really fun. It was a lot more my speed where I fit in a little better. Um, it was definitely a group of misfits. Yeah, um, I kind of want to get into that a little bit because I think it's important. Um, you know, sometimes we get fired and we take it personally. You yeah, know, or, for sure. But I think it's important to get into culture fit. You yeah. Know, why? Why do you do you have? Did you were you hurt? Do you hold, did you hold a grudge? Um, I was definitely hurt. I always want to you know do my best, and when you yeah. get fired, you definitely take it personal. Uh, yeah. I take a lot of things personal that I probably shouldn't and that was definitely one of them um, I remember crying and about it to a friend of mine and he said go you know go work at street and so I I went there and uh, 
it was more my fit for sure. The culture was more in line with what I, you know, I was a new to town and there was a lot of cool eclectic fun people and like there was always loud music playing and the menu was really cool and it just seemed more my speed um, yeah but i think that's important to find you know it's great to get into a place like jumping jays that you're going to be making hand you know money hand yeah, over fist. yeah but at the same time like if you're not the if you're i don't know like if you're not a good culture fit if it's a different type of person or mm-hmm. like click you know you want to be around the people that are going to make you happy too. Yeah, of you know? course. Yeah. So that's, I think that's really important to find yeah. the, the right cultural fit. So what about restaurant, uh, sorry, street that, I always want to call it restaurant 365. I don't know. Why. Oh yeah. Well it was street food 360. That's was, okay. Yeah. That was, was what they went by in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. And then it just got dropped to street. I okay. think. Yeah. So, um, what, I, I love their concept. It's a street food from around the, the world. Yeah. Uh, what did, did you learn anything new working here? Um, again, it was a lot of, um, personal development stuff working for Michelle Lazaway. She's also a bitch that gets shit done. <laughs> um, you know, I worked for a lot of strong women and it definitely helped and hurt, you know, personally and professionally, but, um, we definitely had our trials and tribulations, Michelle and I, and, um, she taught me a lot. She was very much a mother figure to me. And I think that she played that role in a lot of her employees lives for better or worse. But, um, I moved over here and my, f- I left my family on the other side of New Hampshire. So coming over here and having her kind of be like a mother figure and fitting into this restaurant, um, where I felt like I belonged. So it was like, I definitely, the culture there definitely made me feel like a part of their family. Um, I ended up dating the sous chef and we lived together and so, and worked together. So it was like this whole incestuous like family (laughs) that we had. And, uh, it was really great for my development. I think, um, being new to the area. Yeah. What that are your part thoughts on that? I think there's a lot of weird thoughts. People say that you shouldn't date people at work. Oh my God. A lot it's of the restaurant industry. <laughs> you know, I just, I, people are people, man. Yeah. And you're going yeah. through the, you're in the trenches with these individuals, busting your ass every day with these individuals. You mean to tell me that you're not going to develop emotional feelings? Like yeah. You're not going to like to, to meet somebody that you have a, a, I don't, I don't, I like the idea of being able to, blend work and life yeah well the know? thing is with restaurant too like you're working third shift in essence like you're a third shift worker so if you think about like you're not working a nine to five job so how are you going to date people that are in the nine to five industry if you're in the restaurant industry exactly because you work weekends and nights they work days and have weekends off it's almost impossible i think unless you don't really spend too much time together but so like, i don't think you can you can't control who you're going to fall for you can't right? control who yeah. you, the heart gets what the heart <laughs> wants you know so like what do you do when how do you you know find that balance of professionalism and like how do you draw lines like how what did you learn about how to do that well um well, I still don't know how to do that well, to be yeah, honest, right. um, because I still end up dating in the restaurant industry. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a point at, at street where I left because I think I needed something a little bit more structured after about a year and a half of being there. Uh, I was living with the sous chef at the time and uh, we were managing the restaurant together and I left first. I, I quit street and I ended up going to work at the 100 club because I wanted to kind of different, not different, but, um, diversify. Yeah, exactly. And kind of step away from that. And I needed a little bit more structure at that point. I had been here for a year, year and a half and I was like, okay, this was fun, but I need a little bit too ragtag. Yeah. Yeah. I needed a little (laughs) bit more structure as, as it turns out. So I ended up leaving street, um, and going to work at the 100 club and Kava right after that. And so I kind of, um, made the move to 
to kind of not work with my partner. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I think it, there's, I mean, yeah, I, it, it can work. It can't work. I, but yeah. I do think it's important to kind of recognize that at the end of the day, we're all human and the heart wants what the heart wants. I, to, to put those restrictions on people, I, I think there's, there's better ways to deal with it. Just like we're all humans. Yeah. Just be responsible yeah, and respectful like, and don't fight at work. <laughs> exactly. Give people like some, you know, values and disciplines and teach them how to be a, a human being. You yeah. Know? Uh, but just to say, no, you can't date is yeah. just kind of deflection. Yeah. You know what I'm I've like, definitely worked for a lot of husband and wife teams along the way. Exactly. Like walkers is a husband and wife team and they crush it. You know, it's like, it's funny. Cause I, this comes up a lot. And I, I think somebody once said to me, I was like, would you guys ever like, you know, I think partnerships came up and they're like, we would never have a partner. I'm like, could you do it by yourself? And I'm like, no, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you are a yeah. partner. <laughs> you need a partner. Like, you need a partner. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I think to each their own. Yeah. Right? Um, but I don't know. There's a million different ways we could take the conversation right now. Um, <laughs> I think having a partner has its benefits too, though. I mean, like it is hard to do it all on your own. I, like, I personally, I say that in today's age, I don't see how you can be the best without a partner. Yeah. There's so many things you need to be good at now to be competitive because the world's evolving. People, podcasts exist where people are sharing knowledge and people are getting this perspective of the, of the things I can be doing to be a better version of myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot for one person. Yeah, it sure is. And, you, yeah. and I don't know how many freaks of nature are out there that can be good <laughs> at all these different things. I'm but trying. <laughs> most people can't be good at all, everything. Yeah. So you got to stay in your lane and yeah. surround yourself with people yeah. who compliment you. Yeah. Um, so I think now's a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to continue the journey. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention it's time consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and I love this journey that you're taking us on. We're covering a lot of great restaurants that you've had the, the privilege to work for. One thing I am curious about is there, there should, I always say there's a, a good bounce. You don't want to jump around too much, 
right? Yeah. What happens if you jump around too much? Yeah, you get a reputation as okay. not being someone that sticks around. <laughs> I mean, we're we're looking at a your career of like fifteen years of working yeah. in the industry, right? Um, is that good? Is that a safe uh, number? About 15, well, 20 years. Twenty years. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think you had a good balance of giving your time to one restaurant at a time before moving on? And what is that? What is that balance? Um, I think that there, so I was, I'm one of those people that definitely doesn't stick around if I, I can tell pretty much right away if it's not going to be a good fit. Yeah. And I've definitely done that before where I've started at a restaurant, I've given it a month or two and I've like, this is not for me. And yeah. I leave mm-hmm. right away. Um, row 34 was one of those. Um, but there's, there's definitely certain restaurants that I've stuck around at. You know, I worked for five years in Keene and then a year here, a year there. And, there are definitely places that I maybe burnt some bridges leaving too soon. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but if you know if it's a good fit and you feel like you're, you're learning something while being there, I think that's what's important. You know, like. You also don't know until you know. Yeah. You know, and like, no, I, I think the Road 34 and the, the Garrett Harker, Harker family of restaurants, what he's yeah. created with Road 34, Eastern it's Standard, incredible. the Hawthorne, like amazing. Yeah. Um, especially the, but it's a very rigid system. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, front of house staged there where yeah. I was just a, a fly on the wall. Yeah. It's very rigid. Yeah. And they is very particular. Yeah. And it takes a very special kind of person <laughs> to work there. Yep. And I wouldn't yep. I wouldn't excel in that environment. I'm more of a loosey goosey kind of person. Like, yeah. Hey, wh- yeah. what what, what, what happens on, happens. Yeah. You know, like, oh well, you know it's call an audible. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um so I get that. Yeah. And it's, it's important to get that perspective. Yeah. Um so you leave street, you, you find yourself in Boston Joanne Chang, um, amazing restaurateur. What did yeah. you learn from Joanne? Um, I learned a lot from Joanne. Did, she was. Did um, I skip anything? We did, but it's okay. Okay. <laughs> we skipped well, a lot. Let me, let me ask you this. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all over the place. It is. Yeah. Um, where does it make sense from from the t- from after Street? Or I mean, is there anything? Um, I jumped around. I mean, I did some time at the One Hundred Club in Cava right. and. Um, but the, yeah, then I moved down did to Boston. Did some time. Sounds like did you, some time <laughs> here and there, you know. Sounds rough. Um, but yeah, then I went down to Boston um, about five years ago. Worked for Joanne Chang at Flower Bakery. Um, my friend Matt Lewis got me an introduction with her. Past guest. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He got me an introduction and uh, a foot in the door, and I went down there and interviewed and became their cookie baker. Nice. And it was the. So, wait, is this your first? Four away, for wow! I can't yeah. say that word right now. Say it for me. You know what I'm trying front to say. Front of the house versus back of the house. Four away, four away, four away. Why can't I say that word right now? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. trying to say. Everybody yeah, yeah. knows what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, so you weren't cooking up to this point. You're so I was serving. actually baking. I was baking for Fig Tree Kitchen here okay. in Portsmouth. Um, it, they're actually based out of Rollinsford, but that was my first baking job. Okay. Um, they had hired me to manage their cafe and catering company. I ended up doing that for a little while, and then realized that I wanted to bake for them. I was waiting for that shit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there it I was, is. I was like, what? so I was because you're you're the chef. Yeah. Your business yeah. today, Sunday supper. Um, and I was like, up to this point, she's serving. I was like, what yeah. am I missing? <laughs> I all of a sudden decided I wanted to try to cook food. So what was it about baking that really pulled you in? Um, I always loved baking from like my Easy Bake Oven days. You know, I loved yeah. baking. And uh, what they were doing at Fig Tree Kitchen was really amazing. They had these pastries that were just the top of the line, like croissants and Queen Amon. If you've ever seen those, they're like these amazing pastries that are just very intricate to make. And uh, I was really uh, turned on by that aspect of the business that I'd never really done before. So I started baking for them. Uh, I worked for them for maybe a year and a half, two years. And then I kind of got to where the top of where I could go with them. I, it was, I was doing croissant baking. I wasn't really learning much more. I was doing all their pies. 
And I was kind of at this position where I was like, well, there's not much more for me to learn here. And I'm just kind of getting stagnant. I need something else. And Matt said, well, why don't you check out Joanne Chang? If you want to learn how to bake, you need to bake from the best and she's the best. And I said, oh, wow, what's this? And so he got me in the door there. I went down to Boston. And that's another situation where, you know, I was their cookie baker and it was phenomenal uh, job. They also have a very great training program. They breed like cookie machines <laughs> and I was a cookie machine. Um, but then I was like, I don't know if I want to be a cookie machine. <laughs> I want to learn how to make croissants and I don't want to just scoop cookies all day. And so I ended up interviewing for um, a position at what they call BK, which is their big kitchen. It's, it was their production kitchen. And um, at that same time I was managing La Brasa at night um, and a friend of mine who lives in Mexico reached out to me and he said, it looks like you're working your ass off. And like, are you happy? And at that time, I really wasn't. I was yeah. kind of like, I don't know. I'm this cookie baker. I'm working. I was working a day job and a night job just to be able to afford to live in Boston. Mm. And I had no life. I was not able to meet anyone in Boston because I was working so much. Yeah. Um, and so he said, well, why don't you come down to Mexico and check it out? There's a friend of mine down here that has a bakery. She needs some help. I know some wedding planners down here. You could get some work down here. And I was like, well, I don't know. I have a vacation planned in two weeks and I was supposed to go to San Francisco and check out bakeries there. And he was like, no, 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 come down to Mexico. So I changed my flight <laughs> and I went down to Mexico and I never, I didn't leave. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I want to get into yeah. your, your time at, at, in Mexico, but I'm really curious. You said that Joanne um, creates cooking machines. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I know you're joking, but there's probably some literal. Yeah, to this I mean, like where they're creating systems to put people exactly. into to develop people. Yeah. So take us through what that development program was, where that she could develop cooking machines. Yeah. Because you're, I mean, you have to look at your business as a machine. Yeah. With systems and processes, so you can remove yourself from it, so it doesn't re- depend on you to be yeah. there. So yep. how do they develop these people? How do these? How do they create cogs? And you don't want to think of it as cogs and wheels, but you also have to think yeah. of it as a little bit of a cog and a wheel because you have a system and you're putting people into it. So yep. yeah. What did that look like? So when I first started there, I was hired on as the cookie baker, and um, so you've been to a flower bakery. I mean, they have lines out the door all I've day. I've actually never oh, been to oh, one, you but should. I, I need. You I just I, she just keeps her name comes up all. The yeah. Time. So I worked for the um, the first location they had ever opened, and it was on Washington Street in. Um, the near the hospital down there. And so I was working there and we had this small, tiny, tiny kitchen in the back where there was five bakers. I believe I was one of five people that worked back there. There was a cake decorator, a cookie baker, you know, there was five of us that all had our own roles, but we had a space to work. That was maybe like two feet by two feet. We were all, and it was the top of a cooler. And so, and the stove was right behind me or the oven that I was working in. So God forbid someone needs to get in the cooler. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, so it was, it was honestly like I had a timer on my station and it was set for two minutes and I was supposed to be able to tray up a tray of cookies in two minutes. And by the time that two minutes was over, the tray was supposed to be trayed up and the cookies were supposed to go into the oven behind me. And then while I was in that oven, I was supposed to be rotating all the trays that were already in there. And so it was like this whole production line where I was like putting one tray in, taking one tray out, traying one up, putting one in, rotating others. And it was just like a two minute timer was set on my station and I had to be able to get to the point where I could do it in two minutes. I think, yeah, but also standards too, yeah. right? And, and the, I mean, the significance of having standards and what standards do to the consistency exactly, of the cookie. Yeah, because so, rotating it every two minutes, exactly. those cookies were phenomenal. Exactly. But it was also like, it, I got to the point where I didn't even need that timer. I was just like a machine. I was traying up cookies so fast 
gas and turning around and busting them out of the oven and back into the oven. And I did that for eight hours a day. So when you have a, a new cookie person every three months or four months or six yeah. months, you can't rely on the person. You have to create systems exactly. around the process yeah. and consistency and standards. So the product is the same no matter who the cookie monster exactly. is yeah. any given day <laughs> yeah. or a cookie machine. I yeah. No, I like cookie monster yeah. better. <laughs> Uh, what else did you learn about Joanne? Um, and like these, the, it's um, what's the name of the rest of it? Flour. 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 Yeah. So one thing that I loved about Joanne is that she knew she has hundreds and hundreds of employees. She knows every single one of their names. That's crazy. And so she would go around. She has I think ten or twelve locations now throughout Boston. And every single day she would wake up, get on her bicycle, and ride her bike to each location. And check in on everybody. I love that. Though. It was amazing. So she would come in every day, check in on the product, make sure that the croissants were cooked perfectly and that everything was done right and that it was running smoothly. But also she would say hi to everyone by their names. And I'm just thinking to myself, how do you remember everyone's name that works for you when you have that many employees? But she knew that that was important. And Why it, is that important? Um, because you can't do anything without your employees, yeah. right? I mean, especially with the operation that she's got running down in yeah. Boston. I mean, you have to empower your people I to love the expression. stay. Yeah, I love the expression. Everyone's favorite word is their own name, right? <laughs> and it's true. And when you take the time to, to learn someone's name, it, it shows that you care. You yeah. Know? Um, and people are much more responsive to their name than other names. Right? Yeah, <laughs> their own yeah of course. Name. But um I was part of opening the Applecrest Farm Bistro with uh, Chef. Um, uh, Jesus, I'm really drawing blanks this morning. Why can't I think of his name? I don't We're know. We're talking about the significance of names right now. I'm drawing <laughs> blanks. Uh, but there, I was part of the opening team over at Applecrest yep. Farm Bistro, and I, I remember the significance. Every day I was at AGM, I guess is what you could call me. Whenever I left, I would walk around and I would find every person and say goodbye to every person by name just yeah. because I know – and it is powerful. People yeah. look at you differently when you take a, a, a minute just to go, yeah. Mel, I'll see you next night or I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, you know, exactly. People just appreciate Yeah, that. it makes them feel more valued, I think, yeah. for Patrick sure. Patrick Susie. Wow. I can't, oh, yeah. I can't, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Pat. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, is there, you're in Mexico. Um, I want to, like, is there a point, like, at what point you're like, I want to do my own thing? Is it worth talking about what you did in Mexico or did um, you grow no, there? No, I mean, I did grow a lot in Mexico and I think that that is a big piece of the story here. I don't really think that I was, I think that my time in Mexico definitely has turned me into the person I am today. Um, It was the first time I had traveled alone. Um, And as a woman traveling alone, it's definitely a different experience. It was the first time that I was really, I was living in a country where I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anybody and I was by myself and I don't have a work visa. I'm not Mexican. I can't work. Um, so it definitely built volunteering your time. No, I mean, I worked under the table here and there, but it was not legal for me to be working down there. So, um, I did some wedding planning. I ran weddings at a high end resort. Um, I did some baking. I helped open a bakery down there with another expat. Um, but de- I was definitely put in some situations that I'd never been put in before and learned so much about who I was. Um, and that, I think, really set the groundwork. Give for- me a situation that you were put in that really helped you learn about who you were. Ooh. Um, well, I think just I think the language barrier was the biggest thing for me down there. Like I was working as a wedding planner. Um, all of the staff was Spanish speaking. They were looking at me like, who's this little white girl like coming in and trying to, you know, run this wedding here? And why is she here? And why is she working? And so it was really, it's hard to 
work in a restaurant setting when there's the language barrier, but then there's also the cultural barrier where you don't belong here. You shouldn't be working here. Um, You're taking money away from people who are struggling as it is by working here. And it was really eye-opening for me to be like, oh, wow, I I shouldn't be working here. This is not cool. (laughs) Um, So that really put a lot of the world into perspective for me. I hadn't really, I'd traveled a lot, but never like that. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to go and hit a resort. Yeah. And, and like, like go to an all inclusive vacation in, yeah, you know, Punta Cana. on the streets, like, you know, with the people and yeah. to see what life is like in different places. Exactly. In the world. Yeah. And uh, so that I think was that was one of the things I was really curious about is just, especially in America, we look at people and we're kind of like, uh, like you're not supposed to be here. Like with immigrants, like you're taking right? our jobs away, blah, blah, blah. But when you're on the other side, yeah. it really opens your eyes. Yeah. You know? And it was really a, I mean, the whole experience was eye-opening just to be down there. And I mean, I went to get my own apartment and I didn't speak Spanish. And the woman renting me the apartment, I mean, she's even looking at me like, what are you doing here? And so it was very um, humbling experience for sure being, I I think that's the biggest word that I I think Mexico had for me was humbling. It was, it it took everything that I thought I knew and just made me realize, oh, you know nothing about the world. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what travel can do for perspective. Yep. And I encourage anybody that is young, especially in this industry, like your career, your skill set is a ticket around the world. Yeah. Because you can find a job anywhere. Exactly, yeah. You know, get out there and get that perspective. Yeah. So when did you come back to the States? Um, I came back um, about a year later when the money ran out. And uh, that's when I started working um, for Otis. Okay. Yep, so this I, is 2018, 2019? Yep, yep. 2000. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yep. yep. And then so I started working at Otis. What um, were you doing for Otis? I was waiting tables. Back yep, in the front of the house. Back in the front of the house. Yeah. But working for Lee too with the open kitchen and a small staff, I was always standing at the pass watching him cook. And they do a lot of, because they are such a small location, they do things differently too than I had seen before. They use a lot of sous vide in their cooking. And he's just such a talented chef anyway. I watched him for a long time when I worked there. I would just stand and watch. And mm-hmm. I did that in a lot of the kitchens I worked at. You know, as the front of the house person, I was always hanging out in the kitchen just watching people cook because that was the part of the industry that I hadn't really been been into yet I was mostly just front of the house my whole life so I was always intrigued by the kitchen and like why are they doing that or like how are they doing that and so I watched Lee a lot when I was there and uh I learned a lot from him just watching him cook (laughs) so what and what did you learn from Lee I think I I really enjoyed my time with Lee I I think he's such a I remember when he came to sit down with us he I was like wow this is He's so, he's so loud. Yeah, he's so great. <laughs> we used to blast hip hop while we were yeah. setting up every night, which was my favorite part. We would get it. I would get in there and he'd have a playlist going and it was always like some sort of hip hop and it was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just think what he has done to, you know, he, and I should say David Vargas, uh, what yep. they have done to unite the seacoast. Yeah. Um, is exactly what I'm trying to do throughout the industry is just bring people together and have fun and, and just to like literally just to, to bring people together in itself is so powerful yeah. and like the network you're developing for yourself as a restaurateur to bring chefs and, and restaurant people together. I'm sure that served them both so well, yeah. you know? uh, but they just do a lot for the, the Seacoast as far as uniting people yeah. and, and being connectors. Uh, what, what did you learn from David? Not David. Lee. Um, from Lee. Um, well, uh, his whole, because he is such a small space, um, the menu was really great because it was a smaller menu, but it also had a prefix menu, which I think is he like, you're not, I'm, I don't know how to word this, but like, um, efficiency of space. Yeah, exactly. Efficiency of space. He had his menu and his systems in place so that, I mean, he would, 
the goal, right, was to push everybody towards the prefix menu because it's easier for the kitchen yeah. with a small space. But it also everybody gets the best experience because they they're trying everything on the menu. Um, you can also like it's easier to you, you know you have what fifteen seats, yeah, right. Yeah. You have a prefix prefix menu you have two seatings yeah. you know exactly how much money exactly. you're going to make that yep. day. yeah so it helps you with budgeting it helps you with planning exactly yep. um it helps you with saving on waste because you know you have exactly these many yep you know plates that you need to put out yeah. so you just become a, a it's just a fine-tuned machine you don't over purchase you don't like you know exactly what you're yeah. gonna get yep and, and so I, and that's i, I think the and key. yeah and that. i think it's important that we encourage people to break away from the broken traditional model of having a freezer full of food or a walk-in full of food and just kind of like having your par socks like, oh, we're getting low, order more. Because that's money on shelves, you know, and it's, yeah. it's not efficient. Yeah. You know, we waste so much that way. It's not exactly. consistent. Um, what are your thoughts as I'm saying all this stuff? Uh, I think that's spot on what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I tried to do that here and that's the biggest thing I've realized here is, you know, you've got to, stay on top of that, like the ordering and the prepping and having exactly how many you need, but not too much, but not too little. You know, it's that fine line of not wasting product. I'm such a stickler about throwing away food. It's throwing away money. Yeah, I refuse to do it. I compost everything. I put the compost back into the garden and then I grow the food from the garden. It's like, I'm really trying to just like close the loop and not have food waste. And he, I think he was pretty good with that, um, with the prefix menu and having a smaller menu and changing the menu frequently, I think is really important too because it keeps people coming back. Um, There's a lot of regulars that came into Otis all the time um, and loved the fact that the menu changed. And I think people look for that that's i personally that's, love the idea of going out to eat and just putting my fate in the hands of the yeah, chef like i do that's usually that what i do when i eat yeah. too like i, I go to a restaurant like the, they know what's the, what they do well yeah I'm like, what should i eat They're yeah like, you need to get this I'm like, yeah that's what i'll get i would like to just not have menus anymore right <laughs> like if i that's one of the biggest stresses here for me is getting that menu printed because i'm not a technology yeah. person i'm like can we just not do menus how about we just bring people food <laughs> but everybody always wants to know what they're going to eat because yeah. they don't like well, to be surprised and there's food allergies and all yeah that yeah. Too, yeah yeah but okay so we're at otis uh you still you said you did some time at point in massimo yeah um when at what point are you like I want to open my own or I want to do my own thing? When did this? I mean, we're only three years out yeah. at this point. Um, the moment that me starting my own thing happened in 2020. <laughs> um, I think for yeah. a lot of people, everybody yeah. reevaluated their life in 2020, and they decided what was important to them. Um, it was I, also the year everyone decided to start their own restaurant podcast. Yeah, and I was like, hey, what's going on? Here? <laughs> and restaurants. <Yeah. laughs> um, I was actually. Um, I, after working in the industry, right before 2020, I decided to go down to Mexico. Uh, sorry, I went down to Mexico for the winter like I normally do. And then I decided to go to Thailand for my yoga teacher I training. I love Thailand. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I felt what you felt when I was in Thailand. I spent yeah. six months in Thailand. And it's weird being, like, yeah, in an culture, outsider. Like, ah, like, little things you do just are that would be like a nice thing that would be like a disrespectful yeah, thing. Exactly. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, you learn a lot when you travel. I remember at one sure. point, like, one lady was, she was short like money mm-hmm. at the at the market and I like offered to pay and like she was like offended she was like fuck you yeah and I was just yeah like, oh, sorry. yeah you don't realize those things until you're there and experiencing yeah. them but yeah. sorry to um, oh it's okay um I was I was trying to do my yoga teacher training because I was trying to balance um work-life balance you know like I started doing yoga and I was like oh what I should do is I should do yoga retreats around the world so then I can travel and cook food I'll cook for the yoga retreats I'll run the yoga retreats and We'll be able to travel all over the world. So that was kind of my plan before the pandemic. So I went to Thailand, got my yoga teacher training certificate in 2020 of January, uh, January of 2020. And then I was going to backpack South 
East Asia and then come back and start a yoga retreat business where I was the chef for the yoga retreats and bringing people all over the world where I've traveled. And then 2020 happened and we weren't traveling anymore, especially to Asia. And so I came back to Mexico um, and I quarantined all of quarantine in Mexico for the most part, like the beginning of quarantine. Um, I didn't want to come back to the United States yet. I knew that it was kind of like a tumultuous situation here. My dad is a traveler. He said, stay out of the United States as long as you can. It's not a good <laughs> thing right here, right now. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just go back down to Mexico and I'll hang out there until this is, beach. yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I'm going to be somewhere, I'm not going to be somewhere cold quarantining yeah. inside. Um, so I quarantined down in Mexico on the beach in, um, in Baja. So I was living um, and working on our yoga retreat center in Pescadero, which is almost, it's about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas um, on the beach. And so I was working at this yoga retreat center as their chef. Um, She said, why don't you come and quarantine here with us? We need a chef for quarantine. There's six of us. We're all quarantining on the property together. We'll do yoga every day. You can cook. We have a farm. You can grow food, harvest food, whatever you want to do in exchange for room and board. And I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. I was living in a camper, like an RV out in the back of the property, like in the middle of the desert. It was pretty amazing. But they had this cool garden and I was in charge of writing the menu and feeding them every day. And so it was my first time that I was like put in charge of a kitchen and having to look at the things that we were growing and decide on what we were going to be eating that night based on what we were growing. And that was really cool for me and empowering. And I was like, wow, I've never done this. This is like what it would be to be a chef or to run a restaurant as a chef. And it was really cool to me to be able to do that and um, also do yoga every day. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that this, this new path, this new frame of mind that you're starting to develop of, I think the industry is moving in a direction of much, much more customized, much more one-on-one, much more experiential dining mm-hmm. where you don't, you no longer need a dining room in a restaurant, a brick and mortar yeah. to create the experience for people. You can go to the people because it's easier to connect than ever before. So if you're doing something unique and you're doing something special for you, it's creating, it's combining the food and the, and the yoga and creating this experience for the yeah. consumer. Right. Yeah. And like those opportunities are abundant right now. Yeah. And the other thing is people aren't looking at food as like, oh, I don't want to put this food because I'm hungry. I yeah. Food. It's an experience. It's an experience. And it's yeah. also medicine for a yeah. lot of people. And people are very strict and rigid with what they want to eat. So if you can become like a personal chef and combine wellness mm-hmm. and you can have, say, all you need is 30 clients. Yeah. You know, 30 clients paying you, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars a week, yeah. you know, that's good money yeah. and it's just you, yeah. you know, economy of scale. Like you don't have to worry about employees, yeah. the overhead of the brick and mortar. You're going to them. You're working out of a commissary or like whatever it is. Like yeah. the, 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 the entry, the bar to entry is so much lower than it's ever yeah. been. Well that actually, that's where this next part is so cool. So I was on a bus on my way to the airport to come back home that trip. And, um, there was a girl sitting next to me and we just started talking on the bus and I said, Oh, well, what do you do for work? And this is after I'd been working, you know, as the chef at this yoga retreat center and I was on my way home and she says, Oh, I'm a private chef. And I said, Oh really? How did you do that? How did you become a private chef? Cause that's kind of like where I'm, where I was headed with this. And, uh, can I pick your brain? And I said, how did you do this? And I said, did you go to culinary school? Have you worked in the restaurant industry your whole life? She goes, no, I just changed it on my Instagram to say private chef. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me? And I looked at my friend sitting next to me and I looked at him and I said, she just put it on her Instagram. And he goes, 
well, you could do that. And I got home that day <laughs> and I changed my Instagram to say, Mel Harrington, private chef. There you go. <laughs> I was like, look at that. All of a sudden, that's how easy it is to You're just, just become a chef. It. I was you like, just, come on. <laughs> I mean, there is, like, I can see how that would irk a little. Yeah, I think so. But, yeah. You know, like, I have a lot of respect for that title, chef. And I know a lot of people too. I'm sure you yeah. do as well. Oh, I don't so. even like being called it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because I don't feel like it's fitting for me. I mean, I cook well, food. The standards, but... like either, like not even a four year degree, technically, like you, I think they want to see at least 10 years of like field yeah. experience. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, yeah, I don't consider myself. We, that's chef. the world we live in today. But at the same time, like that's, you're competing with people that are, are like who are going to decide they want to be a chef. And they're like, oh, I'm a chef today. Yeah. And they put it on their Instagram. And, yeah. But that's crazy. the world we live in. That's so the world we live in for sure. Gotta, you got, you kind of have to, you know, walk the, or, you know, dance that way. To, yeah. To get market yourself. Yeah. Right. And yeah. unfortunately we all have to market ourselves as who we want to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Act as if is what they say, you know, like act as if you're already that. And I don't know. So I've, this whole journey of the Sunday supper, uh, society started with <laughs> a bus. Instagram changing your, your name. Yeah. Yeah. So during quarantine, I started posting my food pictures and I started the Instagram for Sunday supper because I was doing Sunday supper in Mexico. And so I started this Sunday supper Instagram account with all my food pictures. And then once I got, it was maybe just even a month or two later when I was on that bus ride with that girl that told me that. And I changed the Instagram when I got home and I started doing baking out of my house for the holidays and things like that. And I did bagel bakes where I was like, oh, I'll try my hand at bagels and see if anybody wants to buy them. And so I did bagels for a minute. I did like pies for a while. You know, it was just kind of like. I'm on your Instagram right now. Did I ever tell you my dream? I don't think I mentioned it on our time together. My dream concept is a a calzone shop. Like a. Oh, yeah. 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 And I, I, I kind of looking at your Instagram right now and I kind of feel like. You'd appreciate that. Yeah. I, I love everything pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just kind of was like, I did a lot of online classes during uh, COVID. Like, what, well, what kind of classes were you taking? So I did pasta making classes. Okay. I did bread baking classes. Everybody was doing that during the pandemic because all these chefs were out of work. So they were doing these live cooking classes online. So I just signed up for all of them. You're making, you're bringing, <laughs> you're bringing up another huge point too. I think it's, it's never been easier to learn. Yeah. And, and like, there's no excuse. Yeah. There's like we like I hate technology probably just as much as you and I, I'm not I don't consider my like, I don't like to bury myself in a computer every yeah. day. Yeah. But at the same time there's there's there, there's so much opportunity right now because there's no limitation on yeah, on, what you on access learn. to knowledge. Yeah. And this this podcast is an example of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I did a lot of um, pasta making classes during nice. quarantine. Um I was living in Portsmouth downtown um, and I was just cooking every day in the apartment, um, learning how to make pasta and bread. And yeah. I think a lot of people did the the baking during quarantine. Yeah, I, I started baking myself. Yeah, actually. bread baking. I, I love yeah. It. Um, and so I was not very different from everybody else during quarantine. I just had the opportunity and all that time on my hands to do something that I was actually passionate about for the first time without having to really, there was nothing else going on. Yeah, I think the secret right now is like, and something that comes up often is just start, you know, yeah. like people in their mind think they have to have all these things in a certain like lined up a certain way just start yeah oh that was a hard part for me Mm -hmm. definitely um i always i always thought that and i still feel that way a lot i'm like oh well i'm not quite ready yet because xyz or you know i don't know how to do that yet and so it would definitely hold me back from doing things because i was worried that i would fail at them and then once you start doing them you realize you're gonna fail so many times Mm -hmm. and that's where the learning is you know so it's like fine i make pasta and it doesn't come out right or like but i was kept telling to myself like well you're not ready yet you don't have a a location yet and then i was like well wait we can just do these pop-ups anywhere 
And so that's what we started doing was like, I found a space out in Newmarket that we did a dinner in um, September of last year. And it was during the pandemic and everybody was still kind of weird about eating out. And so we did a dinner outside and I just invited people in the industry that I was really um, inspired by, but also friends and family. And that was the first Sunday supper was last September um, on this like dilapidated piece of property that had like a house on it that was condemned and going to be torn down and a farm was going to be built there. And so I was using the property in the interim. It was like very strange. So what we're about to get into is why I was really excited for today's conversation, because I think that the path you took is exactly what I would tell anybody to do. Just start, just, you know, develop your brand. That's a website. Maybe you didn't have the website back in 20. Yeah. No, I just, made 20, that yeah yeah so yeah. you know just start it's, it's as easy as having a landing page for a website to collect emails mm-hmm. and a, a social media yeah account. all i had was you social need, media all you need is one social media platform yeah. you don't have to be in all of them just yeah. whichever one you think you can do the best at mm-hmm. you have your social platform you drive traffic to your website where you you're saying hey we have an event coming or whatever yeah, yeah. and then that event is how you capture the emails and now you start building this email yeah. list yeah and then you start developing a dialogue and a relationship with the people that like what you do and then yeah. over time it grows but you just have to start and you just have to fucking take a jump off the cliff <laughs> for sure and, and believe that your parachute's gonna yeah. happen and it will yeah you know um so you started with your social media yeah and then when how long did it take you to start building like out the other things that you would need to to execute this stuff you um, inviting friends and family yeah so it's been about a year um that i've been doing this and building this and um it all this is where I might get emotional because this is where uh, it's really, I love it when people cry on the podcast. Yeah, I might. Um, (laughs) Going for it. Um, So I was working at Mossimo's during the pandemic waiting tables and uh, I was starting to do this supper club in September of last year. And um, one of my regulars, um, he also owns property in Newmarket and he's just, um, I thought the person that I should get on my side. Um, Eric Chinberg, he owns a lot of the mills in Newmarket. He also owns a lot of the mills all over the place. Yeah. Uh, he was one of my regulars at Massimo's. And I was waiting on him and his friends one night. And I was like, I want him to come to one of my suppers yeah. with his wife. Because they know food. They love good wine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they've got the resources to spend money and, you know, come to these dinners. So I was like, hey, I'm doing this supper club thing. And mm-hmm. I started telling him and his friends about it at the table that night. And uh he was like, wow, that sounds really cool. But what are you going to do next month when it starts snowing? And I was like, oh, I haven't, well, thought, that far yet. I haven't <laughs> thought that far yet because we can't move inside because I don't have a location inside yet. But he's like, well, you know, I have all these mill spaces. Why don't you and I sit down and we kind of talk about maybe possibly putting you in a mill building? And I played with the idea a few you know, kind of a like few the, times. I don't. I, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but I'm thinking of right now Evan Hennessy. Yeah, and so that's what yeah. I. I was like, that could work because I, I worked for him too at one yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, you're <laughs> I really have worked for yeah. everybody. Um, but yeah, so I was thinking that I was like, oh, a mill could be really cool. I could make it look industrial. I could set it up. Like my big thing is aesthetics, and I love yeah. setting this space. And, and for the people in California listening to this, Evan Evan Hennessy is a well-respected chef yeah. in the, the Northeast. Uh, Dover, New Hampshire, and his restaurant is literally on like the third or fourth yeah. floor. 
of a mill building that you would never know was there unless you knew it was there. Yeah. I don't even think that they have a hood, but like it's a, the cool thing about these mill buildings is they're so industrial that you can like just literally like throw anything in yeah. there. Yeah. You know? And so that's what Eric Chinberg had said to me. He said, if you know, you find a mill space in our mill buildings that you like, and it's not outfitted to be a restaurant, we could help you yeah. um, get you started. And uh, he said, why don't you come in on Monday and talk to me in my office and we can go from there. And uh, I went into his office nervous as hell um, on Monday morning. And I think I actually started crying in his office too. He kind of asked me to tell him my story and what I was trying to do. And I'm very passionate about what I'm trying to do. And what are you trying to do? Uh, I'm just trying to create a life for myself that I enjoy, you know, that's and, it's important. Like, and that uh, this is important. I'm, this yeah. is why I'm really excited because I think that people see the, you know, the, how any famous restaurant tour name out there, like David yeah. Jane or whatever. Uh, yeah. Any of the people that we, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Thomas Keller. And we we think to ourselves, that's what we all need to do. You don't want that lifestyle. No. We all, we all celebrate in, in hold these people on pedestals. That lifestyle sucks. It's tough. (laughs) Not everybody can do it. And we glorify it. Yeah. But we need to start changing the dialogue to be like, do what makes you happy. Yeah. What's the lifestyle you want? Reverse engineer. I keep on interrupting. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's definitely what I'm trying to do is to work out this work life balance situation. So when I went into Eric's office, you know, I kind of started getting emotional when I was telling him this because I was saying to him, you know, I'm so sick of putting all of my energy into a restaurant for someone else's dreams to become Mm. a reality instead of putting all of my energy into my own situation and making my dreams a reality. Like it was really hard for me to just continuously go into restaurants and work so hard for other people and not have it at the end of the day, not having it build my dreams. Mm. So I was in his office and he immediately saw, you know, the tears welling up in my eyes. And he said that to me, he said, it looks like you're about to cry right now. And I said, I am, you know, Mm. I'm just very, very, very passionate about this and um, making something of my own. Mm. And uh, he said, all right, well, one of my guys will reach out to you and they'll show you some meal spaces. And in my mind, he had, he's got a couple that he's doing in Biddeford and Saco. And I was like, ooh, Biddeford's up and coming. Like, maybe I'll do it's a, beautiful. a Biddeford mill. I was checking out Biddeford for a while to move that way. Yeah, and, it's yeah. really cool. There's a lot of great restaurants uh, up there right now, actually, um, that I've been frequenting. And they're phenomenal. Um, but Biddeford's cool. It's like the up and coming new spot. So I was like, oh, maybe I could get into Biddeford. And then I started like thinking about this whole mill space. And I was like, I re- the thing that really drew me to where I am now is and not a mill space, was I wanted to live on site. I wanted to bring people into my home to eat my food in my space. Mm. And I'm not, I mean, my food is not anything special. I'm not a a trained chef. I didn't go to culinary school. My food is just what I like to eat. It's a lot of pasta. It's, you know, um, so I wanted to bring people into my home and have them eat my food um, at my table. I love this. Yeah. One of the big things I think, I, and I, I believe this fullheartedly that your business should be an extension of who you are. Yeah. It should be a part of you because that's, we always say be authentic, be transparent, be real. So when you, and like, I think Lee Frank is a great example of this as well. You know, like you go into his restaurant, yeah. you're going to see pictures of like hip hop artists. Yeah, and they're, they're exactly. Bump it's his. Loud music. It's him. Yeah. It's an extension of him. How much easier is it to show up to an extension of yourself? Yeah, right exactly. Now? And when you can just roll out of bed and like walk on to your property, you know, like it's, we can we can craft we can form these these intentional lives you yeah. know and it's and i think that i think that our generation is the going to be the first generation that realizes that materialistic isn't the way oh, yeah, it's, no. it's keeping up with the joneses <laughs> isn't the way yeah. 
being happy is achievable and it's just understanding what makes you happy yeah. and leaning into that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a privilege to make an example of somebody going after it. Thank you know, you. Um, I think we need to shift the pair. Like it's a lot, a lot of the people that I, I get on the show who are super successful and not to say that you, you aren't, but like that are in the main, like media's eye, like in the mainstream, super successful they have mental illness. Yeah. They're oh, that I way. Be- too. They're that, you know, but they're, they're that way because there's a, a, a screw loose or yeah. they're obsessive or yeah. they are net, they're insatiable or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we start telling people to not aspire to that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. don't let Michelin and James yeah. Beard and yeah. Thrillist and all these media outlets who celebrate these people tell you what's normal. Yeah. You yeah, know, like sure. we need to break this. We need to break it. And I don't know anybody out there who is saying this and saying, stop trying to do all that yeah. shit. Like, I, I did say that actually just a few months ago. I was like, I'm not trying to win Michelin stars here. Like, yeah, I'm honestly like we, just like, trying to feed And there people. are people that believe that they don't get a James Beard award or a yeah. Michelin star, that they're a fucking failure. Yeah. How ludicrous is that? That is crazy. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> yeah. who the hell is James Beard? Right. I'm sorry, James Beard, for you to tell me that this one location in the Northeast is the best one yeah. out of thousands of restaurants it's ludicrous yeah but it's also competitive too and it's like why are we doing this for accolades instead of it takes the 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 soul out of the industry yeah it's not what it's about i'm not about that sorry i went (laughs) on a little bit rant that's okay i like it i'm with you on that one (sighs) okay i got it out um so yeah, I was working with Eric. Uh, so he had shown me some mills or we had talked about some mill spaces and, um, then I was helping a friend move out of this house. A friend of mine was renting an apartment here and she's this literal house that we're sitting at. This right literal now. house that we're sitting at. Not uh, some, some, this house. Yeah. Like this one. Yep. Yeah. This one. Uh, I was helping a friend move out of this apartment in the, in this house. And I said, why are you moving out of this house? This is beautiful. That barn is incredible. And she said, Oh, well they're selling the property. And I was, I went on Zillow immediately. It was the first day it was listed. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so far to my price range. I don't even, I mean, I, I can't well, even I was, buy a house. I was house. curious. Like, I was like, how the fuck did this lady buy a house? Yeah. No, server's salary. Yeah, I did not. I did not do that. Um, So I was working with Eric Chinberg and I finally got to the point where I was like, I don't want a meal space. And I told him that. And he said, well, what about a restaurant space? There's restaurants going out of business right now. We could easily outfit you in a restaurant, get you in there. And yeah, turnkey operation. And I could help you if you need help. And I said, I definitely don't want to own a restaurant. And I knew that. And so I said, no. And he said, well, Mel, what do you want? And I said, well, could we go and meet? Because I actually have a, you know, a situation that I just got introduced to and I want to run it by you. And so I went to, we went to row 34 and we sat at the bar and we had a martini. And uh, he said, well, what is it? What, what, why'd you call this meeting? What, what do you want? And I said, I want a barn. <laughs> And he said, well, let's find you a barn then. <laughs> if that's what you really want and that's what's going to make this work, let's find you a barn. And I said, well, I think I already found one. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, this could work for all of us. And I showed him the listing. And um, the listing was for 16 acres of land with the barn in the house. And the house in the barn um, if you haven't seen the Instagram, it's a 150-year-old uh, house and barn. Uh, the barn's a little bit older than the house, but it's not. it needs a lot of work. It's, yeah. um, it's beautiful, though. Thank you. Um, so it went on the market, and I wanted it. And I thought the only way I'm going to get this is if I have an investor. Yeah. And so Eric was willing to help. And I said, but there's all this land on this, and I don't need all that land. So what if you take the land? So that's all this new construction. The new there, construction yeah. okay. over there. Yep. So, uh, so Eric bought the property. He subdivided it. And he gave me what I wanted, which was the house in the barn. I mean, he didn't give it to me. Wow. I'm paying <laughs> wow. a mortgage to him. But um, he took the acreage 
acreage and he is doing a small housing development with his acreage. So it was kind of like a win-win for everybody. Um, the owners of the house, um, they were able to sell to someone that they knew would continue the tradition of this barn. Uh, they, I won because I got the barn and the house that I wanted. Yeah. And then Eric also got his land in Kittery for a housing development. So it was, it was a great opportunity for me. I think it's also a great opportunity for him. Um, he introduced me once as the person that brought him this this plot or something. I, I went into his office one day and he said, oh, this is Mel who found us the Litchfield location. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. that's <laughs> cool. I didn't realize I did that. It was all part of your plan. Yeah. Right? I mean, it wasn't. It just kind of <laughs> happened. It's just, you know, you, I think this is, it's like a, where you finish your spot. Well, my, the only thing that I was going to say is like that. The biggest thing is like, I never thought to ask, you know, like never thought to ask what? for help or like for, I didn't think that anybody would just give me this opportunity, you know? And like, I think that putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, like traveling to Mexico and you don't speak Spanish, you know, like those things kind of give you a little bit more confidence to ask for more. And I was, that's the biggest thing to me. It's like, why, how, I just still don't know to tell today, like what made me ask him for that story. (laughs) And and like in my mind, like that's, that's what I'm happy. That's where you went. Cause it all started with you just, knowing who somebody was, and this comes up all the time on the show, you never know who you're serving. Yeah. Treat every one of your guests as a future investor because there's a good yeah. chance they will be. It's funny. I used to wait on him at Otis. Him yeah. and his wife live in Exeter and they used to come into Otis all the time. I waited on them there. I waited on them at Mossimo's. And so, yeah, I was ga- I was building the relationship without even knowing it um, through my serving, you know, serving at all these restaurants. And then when we were at Row 34, he got on the phone and put an offer on the house while we were sitting there having martinis. That's crazy. I walked out of there just like all this in from awe. <laughs> just because you you knew your market, you knew your customers and you knew people and you just asked, you just, you put it out there. And I think the lesson here is the universe can't give you what you need unless you tell it what you need. Yeah. Unless for you sure. put it out there. Yeah. And when, if you're well-intentioned and you have a good soul and you have like people pick up on that stuff. Yeah. I think we have this low row of communicate, this low road, of communication of just kind of being able to pick up on sincerity and mm-hmm. honesty. And we, we, we know when good people have good intentions Yeah, and when, when we're in the position to to help good people that have good intentions, do what they do. That is the most rewarding thing. Yeah. There are people out there that are looking for opportunities to create opportunities for others. Yeah. And they, they don't know unless you let them know. Yeah. I, I had no idea that that was even something that could have worked you know I just threw it out there and he said yes and I was blown away I I think I remember going home just like I I went for a walk on the beach actually with a friend of mine and it started raining while we were at Seapoint Beach and half of it was rain and half of it was a rainbow and like the whole sky lit up and I was like this is where I'm supposed to be and I just started bawling I was like I can't believe that this is my life just happening like the way that I had been working my whole life to make it happen. You That's know? beautiful. And it uh, was crazy. I want to let the listeners know that if you are listening to this and not watching this, we do have a YouTube channel. There's cameras rolling right now. We're sitting in the barn that we're talking about. So we'll have some B-roll so you guys can see exactly what we're talking about if you want to visualize it. Um, so I kind of want to get into some of the, the, the nitty gritty now. You got your barn. You got your opportunity. Um, here we are. Uh, what is your approach? What's your strategy to, to, to do what you're doing? Um, so one person that I definitely took a lot of inspiration from is, um, Erin French up at the lost kitchen in Maine. Uh, she does kind of something similar to this. Um, she has a property. I think she's in an old, um, mill, not, um, I think it's an old, um, 
with the big water wheel. Um, mill. A mill, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a mill. Okay, so she um, has a location there, and um, what they do is from Memorial Day to Labor Day or something every year. So they only operate in the summer. They do a prefix menu every single night, and she grows a lot of the food, and they, I think they do BYOB, but. They do a cool thing where you have to mail in a postcard in the month of April in order to get into the restaurant. They don't do reservations. They don't do anything. You have to write a postcard to her and she picks your postcard if you are so lucky and then you get to dine in the restaurant that summer. She'll call you and say, hey, these are your options for seats. You get a seat and you go and you don't know what you're eating yet and you show up and everybody just trusts that she's going to cook you a beautiful meal in a beautiful location. And so that's kind of where I wanted to take this. I wanted to do... um, I wanted to operate just in the summer. I want to do catering during the summer and my dinners in the barn. Um, And then I want to travel in the winter and I want to get out of here and go experience the world and have that work-life balance. So what I'm trying to do here is to eventually what I'd like to do is what she does where it's, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, you do a prefix meal. I'm trying to grow all the food on site. So I um, had a friend help me build a garden. Um, A friend of mine, started this company called the catered gardener um, during COVID and he came over and he helped me put in this garden. And so I'm going to expand it a little bit next year because I've learned some things yeah. this year. Um, but again, like you don't have to start with your vision on day one. You start yeah, when you can I mean, and you grow over figure time. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Bitches get shit done. Yeah, <laughs> so start. yeah, I just started and like, I didn't know I grew a hundred tomato plants this year. You want to know how many tomato plants is too many? A hundred tomato <laughs> yeah, plants. That's a lot of tomatoes. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't, you know, I don't know how to garden, but uh, I, I thought I want to feed people food that I grow. Exactly. I have a freezer <laughs> full of pops, of pastas, tomatoes. Um, so yeah, I just, I'd like to do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights here every night, um, during the summer and feed people food that I grow, have the menu change every single week based on what's coming in the garden, um, and support as many local farms as I can and local chefs do collaboration dinners, do pop-ups where I have other guest chefs come in. You know, I want to do a movie night where we project a movie on the barn and like have people sit outside on picnic blankets and do, you know, wine and cheese boards well, or look something. What, like, uh, like Vernon family farms doing. Yeah. Right? They're you know? awesome too with the music. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, they're, they're literally just a farm and they just started, they do chicken. Yeah. Exactly. Fried chicken. And they do it coleslaw. really well. Yeah. Do yeah. one thing really well. Yeah. Organic, like their chickens that they raise, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then, create events around that and it and just start small yeah you know? i think that's another great example i think they're, they're making good i mean i'm paying them 25 dollars for a yeah chicken. for a chicken you exactly know? Like, yeah i'm going there and watching music like, yeah you're gonna start i think i'm so fucking excited for the future because i think that people yeah. we lost sight of what matters yeah and there and there's never been more suicides there's never been we're just unhealthy as yeah. a society yeah, mentally and everything because we're, we're striving for the wrong things yeah you know and i think that there's this new wave of people being like screw all that yeah i just want my friends yeah to hang out with and like, I, I have my small group of 200 people that know me and come back <laughs> to me regularly and to support me yeah and that's all you need yeah i was joking Just 200 people um, to support you like i my whole my my dream is to have this little commune here like yeah. i want to just live on this property with all my friends you me wondering if you're renting food. out any, any rooms here yeah. like i'm interested in <laughs> we are renting out rooms uh, oh, man, keep me posted yeah so i just i really want this to be like a community space where everybody brings something to the table like all my friends that have been helping me they all bring something unique to the table and they all want to see this succeed as well and so you know i've had my friend mio is out in the garden this summer like helping me with the tomatoes and you know everybody my friend erica she was in the garden just last week everybody wants to help which is really 
really empowering to me. And everybody that is in my small circle, they all want to see this succeed. So they all come and they help. And they, I had four friends in here setting up this barn with me the other night, eating pizza and listening to music because they believe in it too. And it's like, I want this to be something that's not just mine. It's everybody that puts time in here and just how, how happy are you right now? oh my god how much love is in your life right now <laughs> there's a lot of happiness yeah I, I, for can, sure. I can feel it yeah you know? and that's the kind of shit that's going to bring people back yeah because yeah. it radiates off of you yeah you know Thank and you. um that's it's super powerful stuff yeah uh I'm still a little more curious. I want to, I want to get granular with like the details of so you have your, your website and I'm, I'm looking at your website right now um it's just your homepage uh, who we are, what we do, what to expect, book a seat, catering, contact us. And I think that what you're doing is you're just using your website to literally, you know, it serves as almost just a, a way to kind of, you know, literally tell your story. Like, this is who we are. Get interested. But the, to eat at your restaurant, I need to give you my email address. And I also need to pay you $20. Yeah. Get into that. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a a learning I mean, so what happened is when I got this property, uh, this property is zoned residential. It's not zoned commercially. So I kind of had to be creative with, okay, how do we do what we want to do here without changing the zoning, without having to deal with all the bureaucracy, without having to jump through hoops to get licenses? I want to just start this now because I'm ready to go. I've been ready for years. I want this. And so my investor said, well, as a residentially zoned building, there are these um, loopholes that you can you can operate a church on a residentially zoned property. You can have a, a club or a fraternal organization um, or a religious organization. You can have like, there's certain things that you can do. You can have a small at-home business. Um, so I just looked at those loopholes and I thought, okay, how can I fit into one of those loopholes? And I was like, if we do a private club, we can fit into the loophole because then we're a club. Yeah. And what about uh, when it comes to, sorry. Yeah, I, go I'm ahead. Sure, but what, it, I mean, you're serving people, I mean. There's got to be more licensing on top there of that. Is, yeah. There is. There is. Yeah. Um, so right now, um, hopefully this doesn't get out, but I'm not operating. I, I think I am operating legally because of the way I've structured it. But there's definitely more to come in the next six months that we're really going to hone in on getting accomplished, which is a lot of licensing and yeah. building out this barn to be a commercial kitchen. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the works. So right now what I'm doing is I'm because I wanted to just do this now and I didn't want to have to deal with all that bullshit. I was like, well, we're going to just do it however we have to do it to make it legal. So I'm not charging for alcohol. I'm not selling alcohol. I'm selling food to people, but it's a private club. So because I'm private, it's just a supper club. So there's certain things that you can get away with by being private versus open to the public. I called the health inspector. I called the liquor commissioner. I said to them, this is what I'm doing. I have a membership fee where, and that's the thing. I have to charge people a membership fee in order for it to be a club and it'd be private. So I, I started that. I was like, all right, well, we'll have a supper club. People will pay 20 bucks just to get in whatever. We'll just put that money back into the garden. And, um, so we started doing like 20 bucks just to get on the mailing list. And that kind of, some people have asked me, well, what does the $20 get me? It gets you on the mailing list. Um, it's, like, but it's 20 bucks. You're creating a, this, you're also creating this thing of this exclusivity. Yeah. Where people will pay for exclusivity and to be a part of something that nobody else can be a part of. I yeah. paid for it. Yeah. I paid yeah. for it because I wanted to see what was going to be on the other end yeah. when I went, went through the process because I was really curious about how you were doing this. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, you're here giving us your time. If I can support you in any way, I'm happy yeah. well, to. Well, thank you. Uh, but, you know, I just, but how many people are on your email list right now? Right now it's only about 120. 
There's not a lot. A hundred um, times 20, you know, yeah. like you're the 2000 a year is yeah. a lot, but like how, how much is covers your, the expense to buy your plants? Probably. Yeah. I mean, that didn't even cover the cost of the garden this year. <laughs> but I mean, as this thing gets going, yeah. right, you think if you can get a thousand people yeah, on the club, mailing list, yeah, it's a thousand times 20. Yeah. Which you know? was going to help. I mean, it's there's so much work that needs to be done to this you know? property it's because like, it's, it's so huge. old. But like, I think that if it, if you create this thing that becomes exclusive and it becomes hard to get into like this woman with a mailing, yeah, you know, like yeah. it, people are like, what's this all about? Yeah. You know? And I want people to get interested for sure. I don't want to create so much exclusivity where people are like, well, what is this? This so is, you don't want to make it snooty. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to make it snooty at all or, or pretentious or unattainable. I want everybody to feel welcome and that they can come to dinner. I think you could get 50 bucks. Honestly. Yeah. That's <laughs> what a couple people have said, yeah. but we'll keep it at 20 <laughs> for now. Um, but, so yeah, I created this, um, the club, and I called up all the people that I needed to call to make sure that I wasn't doing anything illegal. I told the liquor commissioner, hey, listen, I'm not selling alcohol. I'm a private club. I'm not open to the public. And they said, all right, well, until you get a commercial kitchen, we can't come out and inspect you and give you a liquor license. And I said, well, but I'm a caterer too. And he said, well, you can't really be catering out of your kitchen unless you have a kitchen that we've approved as well. So I market myself as a private chef. And when people hire me, I give them the option. Do you want me to cook the food at your house and be there all day? Or do you want me to cook it in my house? And we just call it what it is. And people are usually like, just cook it in your house and bring it because we don't want you in our kitchen all day. So I've been doing that for the catering. um, And a lot of it is offsite. I'll do weddings, you know, and I'll make most of the food at their house or start making the stuff here and then transport it there. So I'm kind of you know gray areas here and there but we're Every, making it work <laughs> yeah but you start where you can you know exactly and, um, and it's only for a few more months and then the kitchen will i would get say built, do what so. you gotta do to get started know know where there's areas that, that you can improve to do it the way it's supposed to be yeah done, but know the rules so that you can break them efficiently yeah like want to <laughs> do it the right way but do what you have to do to get to the point where you can do it exactly right yeah way. and that's what we're striving and don't towards, be shady don't yeah. like you know five years from now like if you're humming you're making 150,000 a year profit for you and you're like well nobody has called us out on it yet. yeah like, no. don't do yeah shady no no, no no do what you gotta do yeah and that's Mo- the thing we're just trying to make this work yeah like and it's like, I'm going to do what I have to do to make it work. In the meantime, like we don't have a commercial kitchen right now. I'm cooking people dinner in my apartment, in my house. Not it's a, a club. But it's, it, it is. So it's. But start where you can. Yeah. And I think also too, like, don't say it's not possible. A lot. Of, I think people, yeah. most people would look at this and go, there's no com- commercial kitchen. There's no that. There's no this. It's yeah, we not can't possible. Do this. Next. Yeah. Yep. How is it possible? Yeah. Ask yourself how. Bitches get and shit done. What happens when you say how? Like, there's something phenomenal that happens in your brain when you when when you say I can't do that. Your brain goes click and you shut it off. Yeah. When you say how do I do that? Just that one question mm-hmm. kicks your frontal lobe into hyperdrive. Yeah. And you start thinking creatively. Yeah. You, know, you start thinking about who can I ask? Who 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 might know? What if I do this? What if I call it a club? Yeah. What if I do that? Yeah. And then before you know it, like you can duct tape it together and you can yeah. figure it out. Oh, there's so much duct tape but on this. Just ask how. <laughs> You yeah, know? it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's the that was the biggest thing for me was overcoming that. Well, I'm not ready yet because I still don't feel like I'm ready. Every single night that I feed people in here, I still feel like I'm not ready. Yeah, I really but, do enjoy these conversations more than the the guy that's been in the industry for like 50 years who's sitting pretty at the top yeah. of his castle because uh, this <laughs> is this is a lot of people are going to benefit from this right now because you're going through it right now and there's a million people out there trying to do what you're doing right now and i think that you're just a great example of, of it can happen you know yeah you just gotta uh, want it bad enough is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point anything that 
is near and dear to your heart that you think the industry needs to hear that needs to change. The mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. And I believe we're going to transform the industry from the inside out one person at a time sharing this knowledge. Um, but how have you transformed, you know, like, um, I think you just got to get real with yourself about what you want. Yeah. Um, which was what happened for me is I just, got really real with myself. <laughs> um, and I think that that personal development that I spent all of 2020 really working on was like me getting real with myself. Like, what is it that you want? What's going to make you happy at the end of the day? And this was the answer. And it was like, all right, well, how do we get that then? And so I think it's just being clear with what you want and the experience that you want to give to people and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Anything know? that's in the industry, um, forward thinking, uh, a future for the industry you want to see things that need to change. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, like we were talking about the pandemic has done a lot to the restaurant industry and I just, I hope that it gets back to what it's about and that's creating experiences around food. Like on my Instagram, that's what it says. You know, I want to create experiences around our passion for food. And I think that a lot of restaurants have gotten away from that. Um, a lot of people are tired because they've just been trying to get through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so these restaurant tours are just losing steam, which is totally expected because the last year was fucking hard. Um, and so I think that we need to maybe just find the passion again. Mm-hmm. Like wh- remember why they started doing this in the first place, you know? Um, and, and that's hard to do when you're just trying to like staff and stay open and like struggling to make it through each week. You can't, you lose sight of the passion because you're just trying to make ends meet, you know? Yeah. And so I'm hoping that we can get back to the passion behind why we're doing what we're doing. I heard a stat that most people um, can have everything they need for 60,000 a year, you know, but we all want more. Of course. We all want um, to be a millionaire. Yeah. It's our know? society. <laughs> and if you just kind of reverse engineer that and go, what do I really need? Yeah. What, what are the things that will really make me happy? 60,000, 70,000 a year, more than enough. Yeah. Way you more know, than just, enough. just that modest lifestyle. Yeah. A humble lifestyle. Super powerful. You'd be happier than you could ever imagine. Right. Yeah. I've loved this conversation, Mel. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to bust out a speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
Yo, Unstoppables, I want to use this ad space to let you know about an affiliate relationship I have with the company Mies. Actually, Mies has been a past sponsor, but they've adopted this really great affiliate program, and I want to give it a shot. But here's the thing. I won't get credit for your referral unless you use my specific, special, unique link. And that link is getmees.com slash unstoppable. So if you listen to this ad and you want Mees, make sure you use that link. And instead of actually uh, recording a new ad, I really like the first one I did with them. So I'm just going to roll it and uh, let the ad work. It's magic. Here it is. Here are four reasons why you need Mees in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content plus you can send notifications and answer questions directly through me's quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason why you need me's in your restaurant you will reduce waste and execute with consistency me's enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions Tell me how many portions you want. Watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell me how much yield you want. Watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to get Mies. That's M-E-E-Z dot com slash unstoppable and make sure you mention restaurant unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan get on it we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um my work ethic and drive i I just i want it so bad yes uh what is your biggest weakness get on that mic perfectionism perfectionism Ooh, that's a tough one yeah well you're i think it's good it sounds like you're working on that though. i'm trying yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're growing your team um positive attitude um i think that's really important what is your biggest challenge today um perfectionism <laughs> how are you dealing with it um i'm trying to just uh be easier on myself and realize that mistakes are going to be made and that's part of it. And the if only, I don't make mistakes, yeah. I'm not going to grow. The only perfect things in life are imperfections. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard that on one of your other podcasts that I loved it. I was like, <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Um, it's like a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Um, well, I want everybody to be welcoming. Um, my staff, I want them to be welcoming to everybody that comes in these doors because it is my home and I want them to feel like they're dining in my home. Um, it literally is your home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just maybe that's, if we're thinking of like a core value, it's just being, you know, kind, right? What is 
one uncommon standard of service. This is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guest. Um, I was, I think it's the aesthetics and the, the details, the attention to detail. Um, if that makes sense, just setting the, setting the table properly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what's one book that's a must read for us to become a better person or restaurant owner? Ooh, I'm a big fan of The Alchemist. Ooh, I love that Yeah, that's that a book. good one, I yeah. think. Yeah. That book is on Audible. And if you guys head to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable and you're not already listening to audiobooks, you're missing out. You can get your first book on us. And thank you for using that link. It really supports the show. Do you listen to audiobooks? Uh, not really, no. I should. I love audiobooks. <laughs> uh, I think it's how, like... We work so hard in this industry. Sometimes we just don't have like the the energy to like read and yeah. sit. Like, but to just like listen while you're doing prep, you know, yeah. it's a game changer. I think you know, driving to work or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, what's one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, like I was saying, I think that we we lost sight of the passion. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we are just trying to chase money instead of passion yeah ego there's a lot of things that we're chasing that aren't why we started this in the big in the beginning what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your business that's had a huge impact on communication efficiency profitability anything along those lines well i hate technology (laughs) um and i think the the biggest thing has just been the instagram to be honest um you got to stay relevant and when you post things and get people interested in what you're doing it you know, I think that that's been the biggest success. It's really been the only thing I've used. What did you build your email on? Uh, I used this app called universe and I kind of regret it, but it was easy. And I didn't know how to build a website. I didn't have the money to pay somebody to build a website. So I started doing some research and it's just an app on your phone where you click and drag and you know, it's super easy to use. Yeah. Well, I was going to do that, but then I just didn't know how to do that. So I was like, well, this sounds easy. Let's try here. But you know, your website doesn't have to be at first something crazy. Yeah. You can always evolve to something like bento box, um, which is a great tool. But when you're first getting started, you literally just need a place to collect emails. Yeah. And Uh, that's what I'm I'm just trying to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Until I can afford somebody to make it for me or get something better. But like right now it's doing the trick, but it is one of those things where it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try to make this work. (laughs) Uh, So what about your, so you have your, your, what's called the universe to build your website is what you use. And are, are you using an email marketing platform? No, or? I'm actually, that's something that's on my to-do list for this week oh, is to get MailChimp or something Please in do place. not hesitate. Yeah, yeah MailChimp's a great option. I like ConvertKit personally. Okay. Um, we can talk about that. Yeah, we should. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to get all of that in place um, because like even just, I don't, I make all the menus and I'm trying to figure out how to create menus. And well, the cool thing I think that's really great for you right now is because you're so early in your journey of the restaurant tour is you can start segmenting your list you can start asking specific questions and you have such an intimate setting yeah. that you can get details. Like Yeah, and collect people. details. Uh, that's what I want to do is get a whole yeah. spreadsheet for so, each guest and be like, what do you like? What are your food allergies? Yeah. You know, like what are the best nights to dine for you? So in things are seasonal. Some people yeah. like things that are in season. So what you can start doing is collecting this information and yeah. then you can start segmenting your email list. Yeah. And the convert kit allows you to segment your email list and create automations. So cool. every year when it's, you know, rutabar is, or yeah, you know, rutabar season, season yeah. like, you know, who goes crazy yeah. for that. And you have that list. So oh, that like, would be amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> there's really great tools out there. Yeah. I think convert kit does it really well. Okay. 
Um, I'm not getting paid by ConvertKit. <laughs> They're not a sponsor or an affiliate. I just believe that's what I use. Uh, uh, name one service you've hired or outsourced. So this is something that you know it's more efficient and better if you have somebody else do it than you do it yourself. Yeah. So it's not so much a service, but product. Um, I use Annie's microgreens. Uh, she owns a small farm called Four Patch Farm that she just started. Um, she also does flowers and herbs and all of that stuff. So I've been outsourcing to her for most of the summer for most of my greens, herbs, and flowers. Um, so I'm trying to utilize as many local farms, but also female-run yeah. organizations. Good so for you. Yeah. I love it. Okay, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. And I realize this is a super cheesy question, but what were those three <laughs> pieces of wisdom? Be? Um, I think the three important ones are be kind, obviously, mm-hmm. especially in today's world, be kind, it. work hard Two. towards what you want, but don't take any shit and be a tough bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't take any shit. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Great, yeah. great conversation thank you so much thank you for Uh, having me my pleasure we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out that's how i found you and i'm really excited about how this is panning out i think that there's not enough people getting attention who deserve attention who are bringing the right things that we should be chasing to the forefront you know like Mm -hmm. yourself who do you respect and admire? And um, make a great I was guess. thinking about this a lot in the last few days. And um, the woman that came to mind, her name is Nina Holland. She's in the same phase of the process, I think, as I am. Maybe I'm a little bit further along just because I have the location. But she just got her location. Nice. Uh, she's a baker. She makes um, gluten-free bread. Uh, but it's also free of a million things. There's no additives, no dairy, no nothing. And she makes these sourdough bread loaves. Mm. Um, I'm that are gluten free. I'm, I'm actually going through stuff right now. Yeah. Like my stomach is messed everybody up. is. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's the way that we process our wheat in this country. I <laughs> used to have a, a, a stomach of steel. Yeah. You know, in the past six months, I just, I'm like eating oatmeal. Now. Yeah. It's like the well, she's, you should reach out to her. Uh, she's opening, um, a bakery called toast. Uh, in Kittery. Uh, she just got her location. I went down and introduced myself to her and her husband yesterday. So nice. uh, they'll be expecting a call. Beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm coming after you. And um, how can we connect with you if we want to follow up and ask questions or maybe come experience your yeah. barn? Yeah. Your so club? if you want to come to supper, uh, you can head to the website. It's sundaysupper.me. Uh, sorry, sundaysupperme.com. Uh, and then all the information's on there. You can book a seat at the table. You can find out a little bit more about our information um, and sign up for membership there. You can follow along on Instagram as well, which is sundaysuppersociety.me. Um, and on there, I, I pretty much post every day about what's going on, what we're doing, what we're growing, what we're harvesting, you know, the trials and tribulations along the way. Um, but yeah, and then it's sundaysupper.me at gmail.com if you want to send an email. Mel Harrington, thank you so much for taking thank the time you. to join us to share your story and your inspiration. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. There you have it. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to today's guest, Mel Harrington, for sharing your story and just inspiring us all. And I think the big takeaway from today's chat is just put it out there. The universe cannot give you what you need unless it knows what you need. Put it out there. Make things happen. Put things in the motion and just start where you can and leverage the tools and resources at your disposal and ask yourself, how can I do what I want? And don't chase the status quo. I think the status quo in our industry is kind 
kind of messed up if i'm being honest chase what you need chase what your soul needs and reverse engineer that shit i think that's what uh, mel's doing and it was really an honor to unearth her and to kind of be the the first i don't know media outlet to really promote what she's doing i think i hope more people across the nation are inspired by her story i think i know i am for for one so lots of cool things happening at restaurant unstoppable right now if you guys uh are listening to this monday as it's going live we are in nashville getting some interviews and we're actually trying to create a little side project a little documentary uh i don't really know what that's going to become so i don't want to share too much now i think we're just kind of going and having fun with it and seeing what what it turns into but that's what's happening in nashville we're going to get a couple interviews while we're out there and we're actually going to do a couple workshops too i have david leiserbram i hope i'm saying that right he's actually the attorney i went to to trademark restaurant unstoppable and we had people who recently joined the network asking me about trademark and i said i know somebody let me go to my lawyer and we can do a workshop around what you need to know uh, a little trademark one-on-one if you will so that's going to be monday uh the day this episode goes live so if you guys want to join us today be sure to join the network and get involved to learn more about trademarking and then next week i have the authors of delivering the digital restaurant your roadmap to the future of food meredith sandland and carl orsborne joining us live in the network to kind of just do it i think it's gonna be like an open conversation lecture around the big takeaways from their book and that will be a live event you guys can join us for that and ask your questions at the end and just lots of cool things happening over at restaurant unstoppable and i would love for you guys to be a part of the conversation and uh I'm really pleased with how this network's evolving and how the dialogue's evolving and how I'm going to work for the members of the network. And I want to go to work for you. So head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com and join the conversation. Until next time, peace out.